Welcome back to episode 42 of Lifelong. I am your host, Heidi Kumjohn. Thank you for being here. I am a non-toxic living aficionado, and I have the pleasure of bringing on all sorts of different guests in the industry to make non-toxic living easy and accessible for all of you. If you're not doing so already, please take 10 seconds to open up your podcast app and hit the upper right corner where it says subscribe so that you never miss an episode. So today, guys, I am super excited because I'm bringing on one of my favorite people on Instagram. His name is Really Tan Man. If you're not doing so already, also, I would open up Instagram and make sure you're following him because his content is legit. It is so informative. It is so captivating, and I have learned so much through his content, and he is just a wealth of knowledge. So I am super thrilled to be bringing on Stephen Arena. Yes, that is his real name, even though we like to call him really tan man. Stephen is a big tech software engineer turned food entrepreneur. He founded Ancient Crunch, which is the maker of masa chips. And these chips are the only tallow fried seed oil free tortilla chips on the market. I love this episode because we slash Stephen debunks all the myths on seed oils and raw milk. And we are just not holding back with this episode. So with that, Please join me in welcoming the wonderful, the brilliant, the seed oil exposing, really tan man. Hey, Steven, or really tan man, how are you? Good. How's it going, Heidi? Doing great. So you're a big tech software engineer turned food entrepreneur, aka really tan man. How on earth does that happen? So the tech really has nothing to do with it. I was interested in food and health for like a long time, going on like nine years at this point since I was like a freshman in college. And it just so happened that what I was doing in school and the job that I was able to get after graduating was like as a software engineer. But I wouldn't really say that had any sort of bearing on the health thing. The health thing came first. And ultimately, it became such a sort of pressing passion for me that I had no other choice really but to then go and like dedicate all of my time to doing that stuff as opposed to building apps for people that are useless. Oh my gosh. Well, did you have any sort of health issue that kind of like led you into that? Because a lot of people like myself had something where you kind of get into it, not Mm -hmm. by choice. Or were you just like, this is super cool. I want to learn about it. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I think most people don't go looking for solutions to problems they don't have. I didn't have exactly a, a crisis, so to speak. There wasn't any like single moment where I was like, oh, you know, my health is falling apart. But that's I good. was always somewhat unhealthy chronically as a kid. And when I learned for the first time how to cook for myself and I was forced to do so during a sort of study abroad after freshman year of school, I, for the first time, saw from direct experience how what I was eating affected the way I felt. And having that connection, like knowing about that connection is huge because I had always thought that like, yeah, I would get sick all the time or, you know, digestive discomfort is just something that is inherent to me. Or I would always be congested. Like all these health problems that I sort of assumed were unchangeable became fixable. And with that realization, I started becoming obsessed with fixing all that for myself. 
And then as time grew on, it was, it, it got beyond just me. And then like, how can I help other people do the same sort of thing? Because most people, even if they don't have, and especially, you know, as time goes on, people just keep getting sicker and sicker. Yeah. Even if they don't have any specific sort of crisis moment, like the average state of health is just declining by the, the week, basically. So right. it beca it's becoming more and more relevant for people to, to learn about. Absolutely. Yeah. And these standards are just getting lower and lower yeah. as a society, as a collective. It's like, oh, yeah, we're I guess we're supposed to just feel like crap after we yeah. eat out at a restaurant or even make food at home. Or, you know, a lot of people are ordering food every meal getting delivered. Yeah. But yeah, good for you. I'm glad that you didn't have anything like super horrible, but also Ooh. like you had that awareness. That's great. So how about your name, though? Really Tan Man. Yeah, that was that's super fun. I love it. That that came after like many sort of failed attempts at starting social media stuff. Your social media kills it. So run us through like the whole Thank backstory. You. I think over the years I had dabbled in like, okay, I'm gonna start an Instagram account that talks about food and health and whatever. I think I in the past four or five years I've had three or four sort of failed attempts at doing it. And I think the name is part of it the name and the mess like not having a good name it's not it's not to say that you need like an awesome name to be able to like have an instagram account anyone can just start posting stuff mm -hmm. but it's kind of like the psychological thing where once like you come up with a name that clicks it like enables all the rest of the creativity and it enables like you to have a like, sort of consistent coherent message relating to something whether like liver king is a good example of this too like he doesn't talk about liver in every single video. He doesn't need to, but it's a good name that sort of it shoots at the core of what he says. And so it, it works very well. And I don't know exactly. I think I'm trying to think how Tan Man happened. You're like, I'm just was, super tan and... Yeah, I'm just really tan, <laughs> you know? I was very tan at the time. I'm like a little less tan right now because I've been living in New Jersey. But okay. I started all of this after living in Florida for about two years and so I was really tan and it was like in the summer I, I left Florida I moved to New York City well, I was still tan because it was the summer mm -hmm. up there and then it sort of made sense because like the sunlight the seed oils all that connection and the tan man thing it's like yeah I'm just really tan yeah. and it rhymes it, it works it works nicely so I started with that name on TikTok was my first social media oh really uh, endeavor actually under tan man and oh. so that it just ended up working and I stuck with it. And then, you know, now here we are. Yeah, it's really working. I think it'd also be helpful right now to talk about like that fear of the sun mm -hmm. and your name being really tan, man. It's like embracing being tan, embracing being in the sun. What do you think is, I mean, there's a ton of problems, but in your, mm -hmm. your eyes, what do you see wrong with the messaging in our world right now that's saying like stay away from the sun wear mm -hmm. sunscreen the sun is bad cancer blah 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 like yeah. what is wrong with that it's a huge question huge topic but would love yeah. to hear your thoughts because i know there's a lot there yeah. that's a good question i think there's two things wrong with it the first is at a very specific pragmatic level which is like the sun is healthy we evolved hanging out under the sun if the sun were to be the cause of all sorts of degenerative diseases and whatnot then first of all, those diseases would have always affected humanity, not just recently. And of course, they're they're all increasing like over recent memory. And I mean, specifically, you know, vitamin D is an obvious thing. Your eyes, eyesight is better when you 
like look at bright ob- bright objects outside under the sun people's metabolism improves the more time they spend under the sun they look better under the opinions of basically most people it'll help you decrease your body fat by reducing stress because the sun signifies hey it's warm life is safe you're good you don't need to be stressed out and like accumulate all this body fat so the circadian rhythm thing is pretty obvious we want to be able to sleep well so we need sun during the day and darkness at night fresh air you also get when you're in the sun i mean it's a, the specific benefits are are numerous right right they're but endless i think that's not necessarily the real key that's like on the surface but if you peel back that layer you get to this whole concept of like trusting evolved instincts and like learning to live in coincidence with nature and not fighting it. So that's really important because people are conditioned to sort of mistrust their instincts. The sun feels good, but it burns me. Mm. Food tastes good, but it's unhealthy. All of these enjoyable things in life, people kind of mistrust in themselves. Their natural instincts for like, oh, that medical operation seems like painful and I'm going to have to get put under and all these things like, oh, my gallbladder, I'm going to have to get this cut out. Whatever it is, there are a lot of things that we've been conditioned to override our instincts on and sort of mistrust nature. And that conditioning runs very deep. And so the sun being a very obvious thing that people are conditioned to mistrust, it's also the most obvious symbol of nature, like light symbolism. All of these things represent like the natural, the beautiful, the divine, however you want to call it. And so societal-wide mistrust of the sun not only has Mm -hmm. the harmful implications physiologically, as we mentioned like five minutes ago, Mm -hmm. but it also similarly encourages people to sort of mistrust and fear those higher order concepts, nature, beauty, the divine, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like you're scared of the sun in a very real way. It's like you're scared of life itself. And that's kind of the oh, the way many people like approach the way they live their life. It's like they're scared all the time. They're scared of their own body. They're scared of this. They're scared of that. So I mm. think it's cool because it has a lot of practical meaning. But at the same time, there's this hidden symbolism that like isn't really talked about, but is is definitely a big part of the whole sun thing, which I really like. They're scared of their own body. They're scared of this. They're scared of that. So uh, I mm. think it's cool because it has a lot of practical meaning. But at the same time, there's this hidden symbolism that like isn't really talked about but is is definitely a big part of the whole sun thing which i really like wow yeah i haven't really thought about that aspect philosophically Mm -hmm. i haven't at all so my mind is over here just blowing up but that is really really true and i guess how do you think people can overcome that that fear of nature and that you know that mistrust well i mean i think for me it's just like understanding how it knowing how the sun actually works and knowing like that it doesn't actually cause these harmful things that people have ascribed it to, or at least not independently, right? And we can talk about whole sunburn and seed oils in a minute. But it doesn't actually do these things. And if you understand this like intellectually, then it's like, okay, well, why am I scared of it? So education is Yeah, totally self education works. But that's also for some people. So mm-hmm. so I mean same thing with like raw milk. It's like one of the most natural foods you can possibly think of. If you like understand how it works and you learn how it works and then you similarly learn how and why raw milk was banned and why we don't consume it widely, then it's yeah. very clear that it's a good thing and that you should probably consider drinking it. It's not like a visceral fear of like like fear of the dark that like kids have or something that can be easily explained away. 
provided the person can like understand the logic behind it. At the same time, that doesn't always work for everyone. So you have to like how do how do people overcome their fears? You face your fears, right? You have to face your fears, and then in learning in the reaction that the world didn't end and you're still fine, then then you overcome them. Mm-hmm. And so whether mm-hmm. that's like fear of heights or whatever it is, you expose yourself to the fear thing, and then you're like, wait, that's not so bad. Mm-hmm. And that works particularly well when the thing that you actually fear, certainly mm-hmm. there are some things that you should fear that you probably make sense. Poisonous snakes, like spiders, fluoride in the water, whatever. Like there are things that it makes sense to want to avoid, but once you doesn't right. make sense to so avoid like these things and then yeah. you expose yourself to them and see not only that you were fine afterward, but that your life was improved, then there you go. Absolutely. Again, very well said. The education and then learning through trying and facing those fears and all you face those fears and then mm-hmm. they're doing it and then maybe their friends are doing it. For example, yeah. the way I live my life is very non-toxic, counter-cultural in a way, but I've never pushed it on anyone, but I've noticed that my circle has started emulating different mm-hmm. healthy behaviors that I have. Yeah, because they, they see it working for you and they're like, oh, how Heidi, why does your skin look so good? You know, and then you're like, well, not because I think I can tame, you know, and then they start to getting in, get interested. So the leading by example is is the primary way that this like sort of way of think like any way of thinking, but this in particular. That's the primary means by which such knowledge is spread is like through people leading by example and showing the results of like that what they're saying is like good because like people can just see it. So let's talk about seed oils in the sun because that is, well, seed oils in general. Cool. Okay. So seed oils, when people use that term, it refers to oils that have been industrially extracted from seeds in huge quantities that we would never be eating otherwise. So we're not talking about your cold-pressed sesame seed oil that you use in like a half a teaspoon as a flavoring in your stir-fry. We're talking about canola oil, right? Do you eat canolas? No, of course not. Like sunflower seed oil, I guess some people eat sunflower seed oil. Safflower seed oil, do you eat safflower seeds? Probably not. Soybean oil, why would you eat soybeans? Yeah, so it's referring to you take a whole bunch of seeds that have each of which have a very small amount of oil. And then you use complicated machinery and chemistry to extract the little bit of oil from all these seeds to make a lot of it of oil that then you sell and put in everything. So that's what we're talking about. Industrially processed seed oils, commonly known as vegetable oils. There's like, I think there's like 13 of them that are widespread. So just for reference, we could rattle some off. Canola oil, sunflower oil, soybean oil, uh, rapeseed oil, also known as canola oil, peanut oil, corn oil. And I think rice bran oil, that's pretty common too. I think those are, maybe I'm blanking, but those are the most common that you're going to interact with. So those are, those are bad because the oils contain a high amount of polyunsaturated fatty acids. So everyone knows saturated fat, butter, whatever, it's solid room temperature. Polyunsaturated fats are chemically different from saturated fats and they're very prone to mm-hmm. oxidation, which is the chemical reaction where they split apart into all these sorts of inflammatory molecules that like tear apart mm-hmm. basically any biological tissue they interact with. So that's seed oils, nutshell. Seed oils are not olive oil, coconut oil, but those are not seed oils because they come from the fruit of a plant. So the seed really has nothing to do with it. It's just the fact that most seed oils happen to be high in these polyunsaturated fats, which are the problem. 
it's the nature of the oil itself that happens to be in most seeds. And so the only way we're able to access that oil is because of the chemical process, right? But really the problem here is the actual oil that's in those seeds. And so that's inherent to just seeds mostly, biological, like bioengineering reasons that we don't need to get into. Seeds have oils that are high in polyunsaturated fats. Mm-hmm. And so because of all that stuff, you get those oils, which are very unnatural in the human diet because you wouldn't be able to get them otherwise, right? That's the whole thing with the industry. It's not a natural food because without this big equipment, you wouldn't be eating them in large mm-hmm. quantities. So those oils are the problem. And because of the way that they oxidize, they cause inflammation um, and oxidative stress wherever they go, whether it's in your brain and Alzheimer's, whether it's in your liver and it's fatty liver disease, whether it's in your eyes and it's macular degeneration, mm-hmm. whether it's skin cancer, wherever they tear your body apart, wherever they go. And in particular with the tanning connection is that when the seed oils are in your skin, because all fat that you eat goes everywhere in your body, because your body is a lot of fat in it, cell membranes underneath your skin, around your organs, in your brain, fats everywhere. So when the seed oils are there and they're in your skin and the sun hits your skin, the heat and the UV light and the more intense radiation speeds up the mm-hmm. oxidization, the oxidation process. And so the inflammation that results from the oxidation in your skin is what most people think of as sunburn. That's not to say that the sun won't burn you if you don't eat seed oils, but your skin's ability to tolerate the intense light of the sun is vastly improved when your skin is full of the natural fats that it's supposed to be. So if you stop eating seed oils and you know you go out in the sun and you train your sun calluses appropriately, like you're going to be responsible. Mm-hmm. You're not just going to like go fly to Costa Rica after having eaten seed oils all your life and sit out for five hours at noon in the summer in Costa Rica and expect Mm -hmm. to not burn like you will, right? But if you responsibly build your skin's tolerance to the sun, you'll actually be able to tan. You'll actually be able to do it healthy without damaging your skin. Whereas if your skin was full of seed oils, the inflammation that the sun would cause because (laughs) of the oxidation of the seed oil would be very damaging to you. So that's why people are scared of the sun too. Like Mm -hmm. they put on sunscreen because they know that they burn because they eat all these seed oils, but they don't know that's the reason. They think it's just the sun, but it's not. Wow. Well, this is definitely your area of expertise. (laughs) Very, very well explained. What is the history of seed oils? And have you heard about the shadiness between the American Heart Association and Procter & Gamble? So so in this book, The Big Fat Surprise, which you should all read. I actually haven't. Because that's but I'll link it. That that's where all this stuff comes from. All the things that people talk about in relation to this was investigated by Nina Teicholtz in like 2014, 2015, when she wrote this book, Big Fat Surprise. And it talks about how seed oils went from being zero percent of anyone's diet to twenty percent of all calories oh, today. All calories. Zero horrible. to twenty. And the reason is because they did not exist prior to the Industrial Revolution for reasons mm-hmm. already described. It was like a sunflower seed and squeeze it right. to get oil out. You need intense machinery and, and solvents and all this stuff. So it started actually with cotton seeds because cotton was a crop that was grown for clothing, obviously. And cotton plants had these sort of seeds left over. And whenever there's any sort of like large scale industry that generates a waste product, waste is like lost money. Not only do you not make money from that product, you oftentimes have to spend money to dispose of it. So waste is bad money. Or, so waste is bad for money reasons. So You'll see this time and time again. There's a million examples of this 
where an industry develops, there's a waste product, and then they try to find some way to market that waste as good. Um, and then people often fall for it, and then we have huge calamities. Mm. So this is no different. Someone in the 1800s managed to figure out how to turn cotton seeds into Crisco. And so cotton seeds, right? No one ate cottonseed oil. It was like used in industrial, whatever. But they managed to turn into the sort of butter and lard that people were used to cooking with. Crisco, of course, mm -hmm. is solid. And so because no one used oil at the time for cooking, olive oil was not a thing in Western Europe or the US. Coconut oil was not a thing. Like the only food, the only fats that people used to cook were solid. Mm -hmm. So like the, the housewife of the 1920s would have like rejected any sort of oil outright as like weird because people just didn't cook with oil. They managed to find a way to turn it into a solid oil, so a, like a shortening, <clears throat> and they called it Crisco. Crisco was able to be marketed as a food product, and people sort of ate it up. And that was only in like 1924. I think the patent for like the process for Crisco was like filed maybe a little bit earlier, but early 1900s. And then Procter & Gamble, who invented Crisco or owned the patent for Crisco, they were the ones who donated a whole bunch of money to the American Heart Association, which at that time was a very nondescript sort of nonprofit that like didn't really get much attention. They donated the equivalent of like tens of millions of dollars in today's money and overnight turned the American Heart Association into like this big ordeal. And then over the intervening decades, the American Heart Association continued to publish more information suggesting that the type of fat in seed oils which by that time there were a lot more of them. Um, so American Heart Association published information suggesting that the type of fat in seed oils was mm -hmm. actually healthy. So then you have all the ads from the 40s through the 60s where like they're showing housewives like cooking with vegetable oil or corn oil or Wesson oil or whatever and how it's like better for their families and whatever. You have all those ads from that time because people needed to be reconditioned to want to use this oil, which was like a brand new product on the market. It's not even like there was a small amount of it for hundreds of years. It literally did not exist. So people, need to be, people needed to be taught that that's something that they wanted. And they were. And then now we have the public health landscape mm. that we have today. Yeah. And they're still claiming that are better than butter or yeah. tallow, <laughs> which sure. is beyond frustrating. But I do feel that yeah. a lot of people are waking up, but it'll be a slow, slow process. I mean, we'll we'll see. I get new people every single week on Twitter and Instagram who are like, I'm just hearing about seed oils, blah, blah, blah. Like the Google yeah. Trends. Is yeah, like... it's good. It's good. And then there's people like you also coming out with solutions and products because you go in the grocery store and obviously it's great to make things at home, but convenience is essential. Sometimes you want to buy chips right. or buy even like a healthier snack at the store and you read the back of it and it has canola oil in it. It's crazy. So plenty of gluten-free foods, plenty of nut-free yeah. foods, plenty of keto foods, plenty of sugar-free foods, plenty of low-fat foods, whatever it is, the the no seed oils thing is more it or less is. non-existent. Yeah. Like it's like this sort of hidden hidden monster that underlies like every aspect of the food system, whether it's healthy food or junk food. Or mm -hmm. vegan food, or keto food, or whatever. Seed right. oils are everywhere. Like up until very recently, no one talked about it at all. Mm -hmm. So tell us about your masa chips. So masa chips are corn tortilla chips made with organic corn and fried in beef tallow. Which, like I said before, how people used to mm -hmm. not use oils. Beef tallow is a solid fat. It, it's like coconut oil, butter. That's exactly what people used to cook, and in particular, deep fry things in for hundreds of years. 
that along with lard and butter is the only fat that anyone in most most of the world, particularly American Western Europe, would have ever encountered prior to like you know the invention of seed oils. So it's highly traditional in Belgium. They fry the French fries in tallow. Well, some of them still do, but that's what made them so famous. McDonald's fried French fries and beef tallow up until the nineties. Oh, up until the nineties. Um, and so, wow, up until the nineties, yeah. So yeah, it makes them taste amazing, and it makes them yeah not have seed oils, and it's they're not greasy. It's not doesn't taste beefy. It just it's literally like a better version of like oh. corn chips, and so uh, yeah, moss chips are fried in beef tallow, and they're awesome. And that is awesome. I I need to try them, and I'm just glad that there, <clears throat> excuse me, that exist. And well, they're not that there's a lot <laughs> of mm. brands, but yeah. at least slowly but surely, there's more options now because. As a conscious consumer, it's so frustrating. So thank you. I'm excited. But let's shift gears a little bit and talk about another area that you said that education is very important, and that is raw dairy versus conventional dairy. So Mm -hmm. I have personally been experimenting with raw dairy after being dairy-free for so many years, and it's it's definitely tricky to explain to people. So I'm wondering if you can explain what yeah. raw dairy is and why, you know, what the difference is between that and conventional. And so, so raw milk refers to milk, which has been unpasteurized. Most people are familiar with pasteurization, I, I imagine, which is when you boil milk before it even hits the grocery mm-hmm. store shelves. You boil milk to like get rid of the quote unquote harmful bacteria. And so raw milk just hasn't had that process. And the issue with raw milk, same thing with the seed oils like pasteurized up until the 1920s. A lot of things happened mm-hmm. in the 1920s. But every every glass of milk that every mammal, including humans, has ever drank in the past how many millions of years, 20s, was raw milk. And the reason why they started pasteurizing it is because when people started moving into cities during the Industrial Revolution, they couldn't bring their cows with them, but they still wanted milk. Well, guess what? Refrigeration. Mm-hmm. So they had to bring the cows with them. And if you know anything about cows, they don't really live in cities. Yeah, they no. don't do well in cities. So well, they put the cows in like giant warehouses in Brooklyn and fed them garbage, like literal garbage. And the milk that the cows produced was oh. very toxic for obvious reasons. And it killed a bunch of people. And so instead of figuring out, hey, maybe we should like put the cows in Central Park, put them on the grass or something, they just pasteurized the milk, which like made it not immediately toxic, like it won't kill you, but it takes away any of the health benefits that milk should have because the cows are being fed a poor diet. So raw milk or so pasteurization allows crappy milk to be safe. Basically, Mm -hmm. that's the takeaway. And so when crappy milk is safe, then people can drink it, even though it's pointless because it's crappy milk. Then it turns out, you know, not too long after that, refrigeration became a widely accessible, available. The whole reason to begin with, because the cows were in the city, is no longer necessary. The cows could go 45 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, two hours outside the city and refrigerated trucks should have been able to just drive refrigerated milk to where it's needed. However, by that time, pasteurization became the sort of legally protected monopoly that was law, and the pasteurization plants and like the dairy producers wouldn't want a world in which milk didn't have to go through them because they make a lot of money. Because there's very few dairy facilities in each state that are certified to do pasteurization. And so all the milk has to go through them. So highly profitable, they just get to sit back and like do nothing. So they've made it very hard for, in the same way with the American Heart Association, the seed oils and whatever, people with the financial interest in pasteurization have made it very hard for raw milk to become widely adopted. At this point in time, it's like actually pretty available. 
you can buy raw milk online it'll it'll be shipped to you in the mail in almost every single most states have it legal where, in some way whether where it's online can people buy it oh there's a few miller's biodiversity farm white oak pastures i think might do it john mcafee his farm dutch meadows i think on the east coast will ship online wow. awesome. there are a bunch and so you can you can find places to get raw milk on a website I made mm, called Shire. Yeah, I'll link that. Um, you can find local farms that should have raw milk. So it's more it's more accessible, and it's better because heating generally kills mm-hmm. them. Whether it's egg yolks or even liver, the more nutrient dense the food is, typically the more you lose when you cook it. And milk mm-hmm. is very nutrient dense. Yeah, enzymes get denatured. Vitamin A turns into weird chemicals. Vitamin C disappears. All sorts of nutrients are heat sensitive. And then it's not just the pasteurization too. It's also that most raw milk is made from cows that are particularly healthy, mm-hmm. whereas most pasteurized milk is not. Like there's very, I don't think there's anyone who's selling raw milk that's made from like these sort of cows that you see in the warehouses. It's good. Like no one's selling raw milk from But if you're buying pasteurized milk at the grocery store, like that's probably right. where it came from. And so those cows are sick. You lose the nutrient content that you would have gotten if the cows were healthy. And also digestibility. Raw milk includes like bacteria that are help that will help you break down the lactose. Mm-hmm. Raw milk will help you digest mm-hmm. it. That's a huge one. I was just explaining that to a friend of mine who has like really bad lactose intolerance and mm. is tired of drinking oat milk though. And I'm like, try raw dairy. But it's yeah. it's hard to I guess kind of sell this idea to someone who I mean it's a lot like any sort of tolerance it's like okay I don't run so I have an intolerance to running 20 miles okay but if I like ran a mile a day and then I started running 2 miles a day and then in yeah. 4 months I would have a tolerance yeah. for running 20 miles it's like your digestive system is the same thing so you have to build up lactose tolerance and this is the important point about raw milk a lot of people are like oh raw milk I'm just going to go drink a gallon and it's like you should yeah. not do that it's very important once you find your source of raw milk, and I, this is annoying, I know, but it's important to yeah. go slow, just like with anything, whether you're starting a new type of working out or new sport um, or whatever, you have to train yourself, whether that's like eating a tablespoon a day for three days and then two tablespoons and then a half mm-hmm. quarter of a cup and then a half cup. Do it responsibly so that your gut microbiome mm-hmm. has the time to adjust. I'm doing that with actually my approach is very slow and I guess intentional mm. and I started with raw hard cheese cuz that apparently is easier nice. than softer cheese yeah, and that's best. And that's absolutely wild about the warehouses in New York being fed garbage like I never knew that it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. But yes. cool. So your app you can find raw dairy on there. What else can people do on your app? It's basically a map for finding local farms that grow good food. Whether it's awesome or pasteurized eggs or if you got sourdough bread or seasonal produce or whatever it's like if you ever wanted to find buy more local food which you should absolutely um it's hard the farms that do it and in particular do it right so you can just put your location there and then everything nearby you will show up um amazing Uh, well in closing where can everyone find you? Where can people buy your amazing masa chips? Thoughts sure. to share with the audience? So if you want to eat delicious snacks that are not full of seed oils, then you should go to masachips.com, M-A-S-A-C-H-I-P-S.com. Um, you might expect for healthy snack foods, they don't taste like cardboard. <laughs> um, 
as as many people have said. Yeah, um, and they're nutrient dense, oh. so I'm sure they're just yeah. exploding yeah, we, we with make... natural flavors, but true, real, well, it's authentic flavor. Flavor. Yeah, we use red mineral salt. They're made by hand every day wow. uh, in New Jersey. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, if you want to find local farmers, you can go to Shire app. AP. You want to find me? You can find me as really tan man um, anywhere. Cool. Well, thank yeah. you. One more thing before you go. Are you subscribed to Lifelong Podcasts? Have you left a rating and review? Are you following along on Instagram at lifelong underscore pod and at holistic with Heidi? If you're not doing so already, consider doing it to support our show and to help spread this message near and far. Thank you all and we'll see you next week.